This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo. This week, the Alcazine Brief uh, comes uh, from Chicago, where the American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their annual meeting to um, actually talk with and about and hear about the latest news in oncology and hematology. The Ongesim Brief um, has, the op- has the opportunity to talk to a number of different people. And one of the people we're going to talk to right now is Eugene Luskin. Pronounce the name the right way? Yes, that's correct. Okay. He is with a company called um, Verti. They have a product. It's not a drug. It's uh, not a treatment for cancer. It's not doing anything in cancer, I must almost uh, have to say there. A product called SyncMD. Yes. And SyncMD is a personal health Uh, record. Now, if you go to your doctor, your oncologist or your hematologist or any doctor that you may see, then you probably find out that they have a lot of information about you. Uh, that's your personal health record. Now, if you go to a different doctor, you may find that that doctor may not have that particular piece of information. And uh, if you now switch healthcare systems, say that you go from insurance company X to insurance company Y, the situation may even be more difficult to, to actually get information about that. So we're going to talk a little bit about the issue uh, of your personalized health, personal health record and what um, uh, Verti uh, is doing uh, with SyncMD. Welcome uh, to the show. Thank you and thanks a lot for having me here. So f- before we're going to talk about uh, this problem of uh, personalized or personal health record, tell me a little bit about you and how you got here. Well, my background is mostly in technology. I'm a graduate from Haifa University in Israel. I was brought to United States by Microsoft quite a few years ago. Actually, it was back in, what, 2001. I worked for several large companies. Microsoft is one of them. Intel is another one for a few startups, for a few smaller companies. And from that perspective, you know, being mostly in technology, I always had a really strong passion towards healthcare industry. My mom was a doctor. She's a gynecologist, you know, surgical gynecologist. And I always was dreaming about helping, you know, with healthcare and figuring out how I can position myself in order to do so. So your, your affinity, your, your love for health and, and healthcare, you're not a doctor, but you're very much aware of what goes on in a doctor's office and, and uh, how doctors work with their patients. To an extent, of course, you know, I've have to be careful with claiming that I know too much. Right. You know. But anyway, you know enough about to see that there is a problem or there was a problem Correct. which you tried to solve. Correct. And we all have personal experiences, of course, you know, and family experiences when you are exposed to different situations and to different problems that healthcare industry faces. Now, in the introduction, I mentioned uh, personalized or personal health record. Now, this is not to be confused. And actually, in uh, before we started the program, we were talking a little bit about that, with an electronic medical record, uh, which are two different things. Before we go on, can you paint a little bit of the difference between the two for people to understand what the difference may be? Sure. EMR systems or electronic medical record systems uh, is actually very well-defined and very, I would say, regulated term in healthcare industry. Uh, That's medical software that is used by physicians uh, to store their notes and some related information to communicate with insurance companies, 
to provide reporting and so on. That software is, uh, as I said, regulated. Uh, it's running under keeper rules and under additional laws. And that means that um, you you cannot just break into a system like that because it's no. all there's all pr- privacy related issues. No, absolutely, right. absolutely. And again, it's it's within the covered entity space. Uh, that's where it's deployed, and that's where it's trying. Okay. Now, when you talk about personal health records, that's different. That's completely different because that category is basically the service that is provided to the patient uh, to essentially be a custodian of own records to have the ability to collect, preserve, and share records on patient's behalf. Now, does that mean that if I'm a patient, I don't have access to my own records in the EMR system. Do I, do I have access to that or is that limited to the doctor? And I see you grin, so that's, that's, grinning, so that's yeah. a kind of interesting question. <laughs> that's a very tricky question because uh, it depends how that question is asked. By regulations, by HIPAA regulations, by federal regulations, you as a patient, you're supposed to have full access to your records. It's your records, basically. You should have, you know, the ability to collect, to get your own copy of every single document that was created. But in reality, that's not the case. In reality, you know, the companies and and healthcare systems are basically forced to share some particular records uh, with patients. And it's always very clunky. It's a very clunky process because there are many standards or essentially no standards on the market. There are no simple ways to release those records to the patients. And also that whole process basically, you know, has a lot of associated liability on provider side because any mistake, any violation of HIPAA regulations results in huge headache, you know, for everyone involved. So in reality, it means that if I go to my doctor and I ask them to make a copy of my EMR system or the, system, the information that they have on file about me, even if it's about me, I mean, I may not get that information. That's actually quite often the case. And I don't want to put the blame on doctors because they're forced to go through very extensive process to release that information to you because it's their responsibility to ensure that they're releasing those records to the correct patient. It's their responsibility to verify your identity, to make sure there is no fraudulent activity, to make sure there are no mistakes and so on. So usually in any kind of systems, especially in hospitals, in large healthcare, you know, uh, in clinics and so on, they have designated people, designated divisions or departments quite often that are specifically tasked with releasing those, those records to patients. That process is expensive. Sometimes it's lengthy. And quite often, you know, clinics just don't want to do that. They're forced to do that, but they're trying to find any way to avoid that process if possible. And of course, there is also an issue with insurance companies. They may be able to provide some of that information, but on the other hand, they may want to keep that information. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that gets us into another realm of a bunch of additional regulations. Right. Now, you developed an, uh, what we were talking about earlier, personal, a personal health record. I looked online uh, on your website. It's called uh, SyncMD. Correct. Tell me a little bit about this product and how it may be different than, for example, an EMR. So when we started looking into this space, it was already several years ago, we started this company about six years ago. We knew that 
we cannot just go and solve what's called interoperability problem. Which, which, what does that mean? So there are over 650 different types of electronic medical record systems on the market. They obviously all have different data formats, data contracts, and, you know, basically overall formats of the data. Some of them have APIs or, you know, application interfaces. Uh, some of them don't. So there are quite a few companies that try it and continue trying going to the market and saying, we're going to provide interoperability solution. We're basically going to interface with all those EMR systems and we're going to connect them together. We're going to transfer the data between them and we're going to support um, record release process to the patient. So that problem, it's already proven that in the current environment is unsolvable. You just cannot be compatible with all those systems and if you think from their perspective, it's actually counter-beneficial for them to open their data. They're trying to lock their data to themselves. So from all those perspectives, we said, let's look at that whole picture from a completely different angle. Well, now, let, let, let's look at that interoperability. I mean, interoperability, difficult, yeah. Difficult <laughs> word. In a day and age where everybody has access to uh, internet and uh, wherever in the world you are looking I and mean, you can actually go to a document i mean that's prepared on one side of the world and within seconds you have that on the other side of the world that sounds strange that there are systems that really don't talk well healthcare system is very strange and we all know that healthcare actually is the system that keeps facts in the industry alive up until now they use a bunch of faxes you know fax, to, you facsimile them the old yeah. the old paper Telephone, paper, telephone style, some using, you know, electronic faxes, but it's still the same process. Transferring the data, transferring, you know, zeros and ones from one place to another is not a problem in, in our connected world, of course. But the actual interoperability of the data, the actual correspondence and, and compatibility of data formats, that's the whole different question. You know, if I ask you right now to go outside right here in Chicago and ask people what kind of phones they're using, you can come back to me and say that they're using black phones and they're using, I don't know, iPhones. But my question was about, you know, the provider of the service and the cost of the service. So if we don't define basically the data contract, there is no way we can get on the same page. doesn't matter whether we transfer the data or not. It's all about actually getting the right data into the right place with the right system. And with the right understanding. Of course. Now, um, your SyncMed, uh, or SyncMD system. Correct. You've been trying to do that with that. I mean, and it is, it's not an EMR system, but it is something else. So we actually have a huge luxury of not being an EMR system. So we are not under those regulations. And you're not looking to solve that interoperability problem. we are problem. not looking to solve those problems. If you think from patient's perspective, if you visit your doctor, especially the doctor that you haven't visited before, and we can talk about urgent care, emergency rooms, or just, you know, if you go to a different specialist, what you actually need to have, you need to have those documents that you would be able to show to that doctor. It doesn't require you to be integrated with their system. You just need to bring those documents like your suitcase. If you have everything in your suitcase, if everything is you know, just printed and carried by hand, you know, by you, basically, including maybe CD discs or DVDs or something like that. You just need to bring that to that office and show the, those documents to that doctor. 
that solves 95% of those problems. Let's about solving these problems after the break. We're here with uh, Eugene Luskin. Um, he's with a company called Verity and a product called ThinkMD. We're talking about personal health records and the problems that, or the solution that he may bring to uh, giving you access as a patient to your own information. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Each day, researchers make discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Their progress is made possible with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. This is the, the Alcazine Brief, and the Alcazine Brief comes from Chicago this week, where the American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their annual meeting. It's June 1st today, in contrast to what you may see in the calendar, we actually Recording, recorded this program uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it's um, important enough for, uh, for us to actually uh, share this very exciting information about what happens here at the uh, annual meeting of uh, Society of uh, American Society of Clinical Ecology with you. In this episode, we are actually talking about something that everyone may have seen or may have dealt with in the past and that is uh, having access to your own medical data, your own medical information, which may be difficult at times. Um, and uh, Eugene Luskin, he is with a company called Averti and has a product called uh, SyncMD. They have uh, developed a new way of giving you a suitcase almost uh, with information that you can share if you go from one doctor to the other doctor to another doctor or from one hospital to another hospital Welcome back to the to the show. Thank you. Now, before the before the break, we were talking about EMR systems, about the problems uh, in that for them to talk with one another about interoperability. You mentioned that you have a luxury problem, or actually a luxury situation, in which you are not looking to solve the interoperability problem that is there between EMR systems, electronic medical record systems, uh, but you do something else. Tell me a little bit more about that. So basically. When we were thinking about this variety of EMR systems on the market, we said we know that we cannot integrate with all of them. And we cannot continuously support that kind of integration because every new release breaks something. So we said we need to find at least one operation that everyone knows how to use. Everyone knows how to print the document from any EMR system. It doesn't really matter which system you're using. So we said, you know, since we are on the patient side, 
how about we give the ability to doctors, to HM people, to basically back offices or whoever deals with the actual EMR systems on the provider side, the ability to just hit print button, select our virtual printer, and our service, our virtual printer basically catches that printout, turns that into just standard PDF, and uploads that directly to patient's record. That's the approach of getting the information from any EMR when you, you are not dependent on the formats of those particular systems. Now, that sounds very simple. It actually is. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very interesting to know. But how do you, as a patient, and, and maybe as a doctor or a clinic, work with this? So basically, as a patient, uh, you go to Apple App Store or Google Play Store, and you download sync.md, SyncMD app, and that, is, that becomes basically your personal suitcase. Now, in that app, one of the main buttons is the button that allows you to synchronize with any computer. Whether you're at home or in doctor's office, all you need to do, you need to open any web browser on your computer or on doctor's computer and type syncmd.com in that browser. That page gets open in, in, in that browser and displays immediately the QR code, which is a, a temporal QR code uh, that would work only for this session. In your app on your phone, you click that sync with any computer button, it turns on the camera on the phone, and you show that QR code displayed on the computer to the camera of your mobile phone. The moment you do that, your phone establishes a very secure encrypted connection with that particular computer, and on the computer you immediately see this patient's record opened and ready to be interacted with. And you can add any documents to that record, and they immediately appear in, in the phone application on your side, or you can share any records from your app to that computer directly. So that means that um, your doctor can almost instantaneously share documents with you. Correct. And how does this or doesn't conflict with their own EMR system? So it's basically we're flipping the paradigm on, on, on the side of the patient. EMR systems, some EMR systems, they do have portals or they do have some medical records apps, but they provide you with the access into that particular EMR system, into that hospital. So if you, as a patient, if you require any kind of coordinated care, any kind of chronic disease, oncology obviously is one of the key cases. All those examples, they require coordinated care that involve different physicians, sometimes in different offices or in different hospitals. So if, if, if you have access to that particular hospital and you deal with 10 different hospitals and clinics, you would have to have access to each one of those separately. In our case, as I said, we're flipping the paradigm on the side of the patient. That actually becomes your own suitcase. You as a patient, you're becoming the custodian of own records. Basically, you're becoming the collector of own records. And we support remote record requests as well. So sitting at home, you can basically start that app, you know, on, on your phone and request records remotely from different hospitals. We support, you know, faxing those requests. So they would receive that fax and they would have the link and the code associated with you 
to upload new records directly to you and you would receive them on your site inside the app. Now, I can imagine that if you talk to a clinician or to a staff um, within a healthcare system, they say, not again, it's expensive. I mean, what kind, what kind of people, if you as a patient come and say, hey, listen, let me, I would like to use this system. How easy is it for a healthcare system or maybe the local doctor in his or her local clinic to apply this and to use this? Do they need a lot of people involved? They don't need to have pretty much anyone who's not dealing with the system involved. Uh, in fact, it doesn't even require the BA agreement, business associate agreement. That's another very important part of our story because, again, we are PHR. We're not providing the service on behalf of the hospital. We're providing the service on behalf of the patient. So the BA, but the, 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 is, that, is that a business agreement in terms of what a clinic can or cannot share? Uh, so basically, BAA is required for any third parties that operate within the uh, covered entity space that is regulated by HIPAA. So if I deal with any information which belongs to the hospital, I have to sign the BAA agreement and I cannot even look at the data. We're operating on behalf of the patient. So basically, the patient, when he or she installs the app, makes the request to those hospitals to release their data to them. And the moment the data is released, it's on the side of the patient. As a patient, I can do whatever I want with my data. So you asked the question about the, the basically onboarding. I can give you one example. We, we are used very actively by Evergreen Health Hospital in uh, Washington State. They have the entire division that deals with record release about 20 people, roughly. So they asked me that question when they decided to start using SyncMD for record release. They said, okay, how many weeks you would need to train our people and to get everyone on board it? And my response was one hour. They asked that question actually three times because they couldn't believe that. That sounds really, I mean, um, amazing if you think about the fact that most software systems that are installed yeah. in hospitals or clinics really require um, days, if not weeks, for people to... Or to, years sometimes, yeah. you know, and, and huge expenses. We don't charge anything up front. Patients don't pay anything at all. Um, it's, it's a free app for patients. Physicians and for hospitals, they can start using that in what we call a guest mode without any registration. Then we're asking them, after they hit some number of unique patients, we're asking them to register with a free account it takes a couple of minutes for them to do so. And then when they hit particular volume of patients, only then we say that, guys, we want you to pay a subscription fees. And the entire subscription fees is $49 per physician's account. That's all. That's the entire expense. There are no hidden fees. There is nothing. There is no upfront fee. There is no contract. You can start using that and stop using that at any moment. So affordable? Yeah, we believe so. Yeah, yeah. But also very handy. I mean, I think that if you, and, and I'm just giving an example, the Oncology Brief, we actually produced a show uh, in Arizona. And Arizona is known for a lot of people that actually visit Arizona in the, Correct. In, in, in the, in the winter when it is cold in other states. Uh, we, um, All the uh, snowbirds. Right. That's, uh, that's the term that we use uh, in, in some, some instances. Obviously, uh, generally an older population that may need to, have, uh, need to visit a doctor at times. And for them, it would be very easy to actually have access to that in, if they happen to be in a different health system. Yeah. Yes, that's, we in fact see 
the snowboard category as one of our key customers, specifically because of what you described. And the whole point is, if I have my records with me on the phone, I can show up in any place. There is no need for them to integrate with anything. All they need to do is open SyncMD.com, and I will show that QR code to my camera, and they have my records. That's it. Now, after the break, we will uh, talk a little bit more about that, find out a little bit more of the things behind this and the portability, actually, that is with a system like this. Well, this is the Youngest in Brief. We're coming from Chicago this week, uh, where the American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their annual meeting. I'm Peter Hovland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful, pain-reducing prescription medicines. But most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongusin Brief. Today, we are live from Chicago, uh, where the American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their annual meeting. It's an oncology meeting, but um, in addition to hearing the latest news about uh, cancer treatment and other ways of, of, of care for people and patients with cancer, there are also other gems that we actually find um, from p- companies that are uh, presenting here and actually talk about their product. Um, in this case, it is uh, not a drug. It is not a treatment for cancer. Um, it has a much broader appeal. It's a personal health record. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit how easy it is to actually uh, apply this, how to use this, how easy it is for physicians to um, help their patients to use this. And especially if you travel a lot, um, it may be very handy for you to actually have something like this, a personal health record uh, that you can take with you. Now, again, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the product. What do people have in their hand? I mean, obviously, I mean, there are systems that people may have to have a little device in their hand. Uh, They need to kind of store the information on different systems. I understand that this is not the case with your system. Yeah, that's not the case. Uh, All they have in their hand is basically their phone. They have the information that is specifically encrypted and stored uh, in HIPAA-compliant cloud with the full access from their phone and with the ability to share that access uh, with anyone that they wish. That makes it obviously much easier for people to travel. 
in the United States, if you travel in the United States, it's very easy to use that, obviously, because that's um, you shared it with your doctor and you get that information. Now, what if you go abroad? If you go to Europe, if you go to other countries, how easy would it be for health systems, but you also as a patient, to use this? Well, um, so far, we are lucky to have the same internet everywhere. So if, if they are online... Any patient can share those records with them on spot. They don't need to be integrated with the system. They don't need to know anything about the system. It's just one click, one operation, and they have the records in front of them on the computer screen. And and this this is all over the world because internet all, is, is global, yes. right? If you if you very specifically look at the technology, because again, I mean the technology is very simple, operational is, sim- is sim- simple. Why has it taken so long for people to? develop something like this? Well, it's an interesting question. The technology behind this is actually quite complicated. What's simple is the way how it operates. And the reason why it looks so simple is because it was designed mostly by doctors, by physicians. I keep saying that I cannot consider myself a designer of the system. We implemented what doctors wanted. We pretty much half of our company have medical background And it came from doctors, because if you look at the market, it's kind of very interesting that almost nobody is creating the software specifically for doctors, specifically targeting doctors. Companies are making software for payers, for back offices, for administrators, sometimes for patients, but very specifically for patients, not really for interaction between patients and doctors. We decided from day one that we need to solve one doctor's problem. That's how the company started. It started from our discussions, first initially about data analytics, but then we pulled our good friend who became co-founder of this company, my personal primary care physician, Dr. Greenberg, and we said, doctor, we want to solve your problem. If we can solve your problem just with one doctor, then we can extrapolate that to everyone else. And then other doctors, when they saw that, they joined the company in one form or another, And they started helping us to design the system the way that it's going to work for them and their patients. That's why we say one of the key phrases that we say on the website, that this is the system designed by doctors for patients. There is almost no other software that is done that way. And again, I mean, to to, to realize how important this is, this is not something that you need to buy in terms of a device. It's not a piece of software that you have to download on your computer in terms of being, it's an app that you can actually buy or download from the, from the App Store, which works on your iPhone as well as your Android, I assume? Correct. And that's basically the whole interaction that you need to do as a patient? That's the patient requirement? You just basically, you, you download the app from App Store, um, from Apple App Store or Google right. Play, and it's a free app. And you just register yourself and you're good to go. And then for, on the physician side, they really don't need to do a lot other than basically make that portal open or make that connection, as you said, by the, the, the QR code and make that connection with the system or with the information that you share with them, and then they can upload your your uh, information. Now, when it comes to that, I can see happening in a local clinic where you have your local physician taking care of things. Now, if you go to a large health system, like you need to go to a hospital, is that e- easy to do as well? Yes, it's it's the same. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, one small clinic with one doctor or your large hospital. You know, we, we operate right now, you know, some of our users are small clinics. 
and we have large hospitals that are using using our system as well. So it doesn't really matter. It you can start using that immediately. You don't even need to register initially. You know, right? But that's just on the physician side, the healthcare. Yes, side. absolutely. Now, a very particular situation may arise if you happen to be a parent of a uh, sick child. I mean, um, how can your system help? So uh, it basically allows you to uh, what we call be in sync with up to 10 people for free. So if you're head of household, you basically say, I want to manage uh, records of my family. And with one scan of the QR code on your computer, you basically add those people to your kind of small shared group and you can totally see and manage their records. Okay, so that is good for parents who may have a sick child or I mean, a larger family or does it also allow, for example, if you, um, I assume that is the case, but allow if you take care of your grandparents or your parents? Absolutely, it's all the same. Right, because that's basically you develop a group in which you share that information. Correct. In fact, my grandmother is 93 years old. So obviously I'm the one, you know, making sure that she has all medical records in order. And I'm doing that using this app. Okay, well, it's, it sounds very simple in that respect. It sounds very exciting to look at that. Now, it's always good to look uh, towards the future. What are you planning in the future with a system like this? So there are a couple of stages, obviously, you know, the way we look in the future. We obviously are trying to become the de facto standard of personal health records making sure that it's very simple, it's free, it's easy for patients and for doctors to support coordinated care and obviously, you know, direct applications for oncology is very obvious, but it's really, you know, very critical for pretty much any chronic diseases and we have, what, 139 million people in this country with chronic conditions that require mm -hmm. coordinated care. So that's, that's stage one and we need to get to critical mass with that, obviously. And then we, of course, looking at research because the moment we get we start getting all these large volumes of this data, now from legal perspective, it's very important to understand that we are not under HIPAA regulations from from that perspective. We're dealing with the data that was already released to patients, so it's up to the patient to decide whether they would want us or whether they would allow us mm -hmm. to aggregate their data or to even solicit from the, on behalf of some research companies for personalized data to be shared with those researchers. But then ultimately, I mean, it's the, not the company, not, you are not making a decision. It's the patient that makes the decision whether their information can be shared with an, another party. Yes, and we are pretty much almost like religious about that because we don't want to create the situations like with some other companies. I don't want to name the names, um, but, um, you know, when, when people... You're talking about uh, social media networks. I would try to be very careful with stating anything in that realm. I need to speak with my lawyers first, but... <laughs> <laughs> We're not mentioning the name. No, no. Now, let's talk a little bit more about that after the break. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. 
Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. This is uh, the Alcazine Brief, and the Alcazine Brief comes uh, from Chicago this week, where the American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their uh, annual meeting. The reality is we don't want patients to feel that they were robbed from the perspective of someone taking their data. So um, they identified aggregated data is one thing. Anything related to personalized data is completely different thing. So we have, we're basically supporting the process of three stages of asking any person for any kind of personalized data. And all that happens in, in a special, basically part of the cloud that is completely encrypted. So we don't even know what kind of information is requested, we can support different types of scripts that would automatically determine which patients are in the interest group, basically. And the first stage is just to send the message to the patient saying there is a research organization, we're not even specifying which one, that might be interested in your data. Do you want to know more? Only when the p- patient says, yes, I want to know more, we say, here is the description of the research. Now, please make the decision whether you want to share your information with that research company. And only after that, we're basically allowing that research company to receive the copies of the data of this particular patient. So that means that it is safe um, because it is secured in that respect? We use the term paranoia embedded. (laughs) (laughs) We basically, we are way more secure than is required by law. And part of that is because we, we establish in our relationship with, um, you know, some parts of federal government helping different types of people, and they have a bunch of additional requirements. So we, we've been through all those security reviews with them. We know that we're very secure because we're re-encrypting the data. We're not storing data in open format. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. This week, in this episode uh, for the Ongers in Brief, we are at ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, their annual meeting. And uh, there is a lot of excitement about new developments, new, new uh, treatment options uh, for patients with cancer, a new a lot of diagnostic procedures that are new. I'm here with uh, Eric Rosenthal, our editor-at-large, editor-at-large for Oncosine, uh, as well as the Ongers in Brief. Eric, uh, one of the things that uh, we just heard in an interview with Eugene Luskin is about a new way of giving power to the patient. It's, it's giving the information that people have in their medical, electronic medical record in their hands, but it's unique in the sense that 
when you look at traditional electronic medical records, they don't talk to one another. And for a patient to actually get access to that, it's very difficult. When you heard some of the stuff that um, this company is doing and how it gives the uh, patient the opportunity to actually have access to their medical records, but also be responsible for that, uh, what's your response? Well, I think it's a great development to, to basically put it in the hands of their patient information, medical records in the hands of patients. I think also the fact that it'll be cloud-based and it's pretty seamless in terms of how the information will get up there is also, uh, you know, a great advantage, especially when you're dealing with all types of patients, some of whom aren't, don't have great technical abilities. A couple questions I have is, is one, basically, you know, what is the incentive for doctors to use this at, and is there a disincentive for doctors who are still very paternalistic who do not want that information in the hands of patients? The other question that arises is, you know, do all patients have the ability to hold on to that information? I think the concept is 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 great and long overdue, um, and it also takes care of the problem of of the lack of ability for medical health and medical records to be read from one institution or another or one doctor's office or another. Um, but the question becomes, you know, how do you put it to the hands of patients and how do you get doctors to sign up for it? I think that those are very legitimate questions. Um, I think time will tell. But the fact that the initiative is there to make sure that patients now have access to that, they don't have to worry about if they will see a different doctor, that do that different clinic, different doctor has access to their medical records. I think that is a very good initiative. Again, time will tell. Well, I, I agree. I think it's a great idea Again, not just because it puts the information into the hands of patients, but that it centralizes it with somebody who cares, basically the patient. The question becomes how they work out the distribution of the information. Right. But, but in, in the end, I think giving patients the access to it, give patients the responsibility to, to work with their doctors um, and take away some of the confusion, I think uh, that's a fantastic uh, new start in, in sh- information sharing. And as well as making them responsible for their own health records and, and therefore their own health um, to be able to ensure that their information is in one place and accessible to any number of uh, physicians they may have uh, to have access to that information. Absolutely. Thank you. This was an episode of the Oncogene Brief, uh, this time uh, from Chicago during the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology annual meeting. A slightly different format because we have the opportunity to talk with a lot of different people about cancer and cancer treatment. But um, if you want more information about cancer and cancer treatment, go to the website of the American Society of Clinical Oncology at asco.org, where you can actually find doctor-approved information. Uh, for us here at the Ongus in Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers for your ongoing support. As always, uh, thanks to your support, our program now has a wider distribution via iHeartRadio, in addition to uh, PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. And your support made it possible that we can actually go to meetings like this, uh, but also now have a distribution in Canada and Australia. And you can also download us via iTunes and via streaming media, uh, including Spotify. In Arizona, you can listen to the Oncogene Brief via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the 10 top um, radio stations, or the top 10 top radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. 
For more information about what we do, uh, go to our online journal, Oncozine, at www.oncozine.com. And if you want to support our program, please visit our website at uh, Oncozine Acts uh, and look for the Oncozine Brief. Here you can find more information about uh, the way you can help and support us. If you live in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. And then we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology, including sessions that are presented uh, this weekend here at the, the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to uh, tune in to our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. The Oncozine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofflin, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for The Oncozine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949 923 1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health if you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it. <laughs>